Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsey. Back for our final team previews before TLT drops next week. Final remaining teams are the New Zealand Warriors and Manly Seagulls. Two very interesting outfits with a lot of changes in both, actually. So quite a lot of good stuff to talk about with them. Uh, the All-Stars Podcast, as always, is, is brought to you by Top Sport, 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. We're in partnership with Top Sport this season. Uh, they will be having a huge amount of NRL markets already hitting, so if you're interested in those, certainly sign up. And if you do, make sure you gamble responsibly, but also make sure that you put your promo code as SC All Stars, so they know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take really, really good care of you. Uh, and have a lot of stuff on as well, including hopefully we'll have some super coach betting next week as well. So markets aren't going to be up for that until late, but I'm assuming probably Tuesday we'll hopefully see some super coach markets for top sport. So gamble responsibly, but do enjoy it with those guys because they're great. Now we've got our second appearance of Luke Garrity this season. So Luke was our resident night supporter who came on, got some great feedback on those podcasts because we had to split them in two. There was so much content. So <laughs> welcome back, Luke. Thanks, mate. Good to be back. Um, going to be, be trying to contain uh, the length of this one for you. And also, you know, I, I had, did have some feedback last time. A, a bloke I used to play cricket with, a mate of mine, I didn't realise, listens to you, but he's a big Tigers fan and he recorded, he's isolated and recorded me saying, yeah, the Knights will flog the Tigers and saved it to his phone just to really shame me a few weeks in. <laughs> so I'll remember that people might be listening that I know and uh, cut it, you know, make sure I don't say anything that's going to bite me on the ass in the middle of the season. Sounds good, mate. Well, uh, Warriors are the first team up. Now, They've actually, I think, got a lot of breadth to them this year as far as Supercoach to talk about. Uh, a few big changes. We'll have a look at the ins and outs, but uh, two of the big things to keep in mind before we go through the ins and outs and the draw, it's it's very much going to be a uh, new coach in Brownie, which is going to have a change. And also, the Warriors playing at home is always an advantage, but, I mean, this year, they're, they're going to be based exclusively in Queensland, it looks like. So they're not really going to have those home matches. And there's obviously going to be the, uh, I guess, the mental side of things and mental fatigue of, of being away and stuff and, and not being back in New Zealand. So, I mean, you're a, a Brownie fan from way back, being a Newcastle Knights supporter. How do you see the coaching change and the and the effect of, I, I guess, never having a home game all year? I don't mind the home game so much. I think they did pretty well last year when they got a good run of playing in the same place for a while. Um, I don't think flying back and forth to New Zealand all the time is that helpful. It might help them win a few games in New Zealand, but they tend to lose all their games in Australia to a degree. Um, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they've had a problem winning in Australia, and I thought they were pretty good at the back half of last year. And I think with time to plan and bringing all the families over, which I believe they're doing, and have all the support systems in place, to me that's very difficult different to the what happened last year where teams were just uprooted all of a sudden and, you know, um, without any planning or thought, suddenly you're on the other side of, you know, hours and hours away from home. This time they've had time to plan it. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, Brownie, I, I don't dislike Brownie. I think he's a nice guy, a uh, nice bloke. Um, I think he's got a reasonable nous for rugby league, but I don't know about him as a head coach. Uh, I think he's a developer of players. He brings some guys through to the top level, but he doesn't necessarily get the best results. 
Um, and that's probably what we can expect. But look, from a super coach perspective, he's quirky and he's a bit weird. Uh, he does weird stuff. You'll find him playing a guy who's always played in the middle on an edge. A guy who's always played on an edge will play in the middle. A guy who's always played center will be playing lock forward or something like these <laughs> things do happen under Brownie. He gets these ideas in his head. And whilst they can be a bit odd and frustrating when you're coaching, or sorry, if you're a fan of the side, they can work well if you're trying to look for a super coach option, you know? So, um, all of a sudden in round 10, when he suddenly decides you and Aitken's an edge back rower or something, we'll all be cheering. So, uh, it, you look out for those things because he'll do some weird ones and, and we'll probably talk about one or two of them. He's already done some odd stuff in the trials. So, um, there might be a few little opportunities for us there as super coaches. Yeah, for sure. I agree with most of that as well. Uh, they'll certainly be better off this year playing away than what they were last mm. year. Um, when we're having a look at the gains and losses of their roster, there's actually quite a few. Like We've recorded this week podcasts like for the Storm and also the Sharks. And I mean, the Sharks in particular, they had very little roster turnover at all. Yeah. The Warriors are very different. So their gains, they've got Ewan Aiken, um, who's going to be a starting centre. They've also got Fanua Blake, who's going to be a starting prop. So those two are, are pretty good signings already, I think. Ben Murdoch-Masilla is coming over from the Warrington Wolves after being over there for four or five years or whatever. He's going to be a starter as well. And then you've got some other kind of under-the-radar ones, like Bailey Sirenen, fairly cheaply, um, is, is quite a good young player, I think. Sean O'Sullivan is a good backup type of player. Uh, and then even even though I'm a, <laughs> I've degraded Kane Evans ad nauseum <laughs> for, for several years on podcasts and everything else that I could talk about him on, um, he's still going to be a bench player that's, that's going to be a solid enough bench player as long as he knows his role. So I think their signings are pretty good. And, I mean, when you look at their losses, Luke, it's really guys that you want to lose, most of them. Like, I mean, and that's with all due respect to some of them. Like, I'm not having a go at Gerard Beal. He had a very bad run of injuries. But you want Beal's money off your cap. You want Adam Blair's money off your cap. Uh, those are a couple of guys that you really needed mm. to lose. Even though Blake Green might be what the Newcastle Knights need, it's not what uh, the Warriors need, I don't think, at the moment at his stage of his career. So that kind of works for them as well. Um, they had other guys like Isaiah Papali'i, who I think in past years they would have really persisted with for six or seven years before they decided, oh, hang on, he's not actually the starting star back rower that we thought he was, whereas they've cut him loose early, which is, I think, a good signing in turning the place around. Uh, and then you've got guys like Parsi as well, similar sort of boat. And they've cleared out some some guys that were probably quite handy to have in the background, like an Adam Kieran uh, and Patrick Herbert and so forth, but they've kind of replaced them with guys that are at least as good or better. Um, so I, I quite like their roster turnover that they've had. Um, they've lost some depth sort of guys, but I think they've gained like a few legit starters that are going to really help them. Yeah, all things being equal, I think the roster's better. If they had kept the same coach they had last year and made these changes, I think that's good. I think Papa Lee, he's a typical... Um warrior situation. It's also something we had a lot of trouble with as the Knights. A guy like Josh Perry springs to, springs to mind is what can happen is he might go on to be a good player, Papa Leahy, but I think he and the Warriors needed that change. It happened at the Knights with Josh Perry years back and a few guys like that. Guys can get comfortable in that home environment, in their local team when they come through there, and I think that move is probably good for both parties, and Papa Leahy may well go to Sydney in a roster where he's not you know, praised and looked after and has to fight for it and have a good career. But I agree with you. It was a good time to cut him loose. Um, I think the guys they brought in are good. Um, Fanua Blake's one of the better front rowers in the comp. Aitken's an upgrade on what they had. Um, and the other thing you've got to uh, look a little bit at is last year, 
um, Mamalo and Fusatua basically went home at COVID. They stopped playing a few rounds after resumption. So when you talk about ins, when you look at where they finish on the table and w- that sort of thing, they're basically two fresh players because they didn't play with them all last year and they're, they're easily their best two wingers. Um, and you know, they're two of, I wouldn't, you wouldn't say they're the elite wingers in the competition, but they're certainly two of the better sort of finishers and you know, they're certainly above average in terms of their ability. So, um, they're two pretty good ins as well. And if they had a kept Peyton and you said, well, they've got what they had last year and they're now going to build, I'd be pretty keen on them, but I think it's a new coach. They're going to play a new way. And we've seen enough from the Warriors to know there's no such thing as building on last year. You know, like there's there's waves of form, there's falling out of form, and there's never putting it together for a season. And I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case here. I think at some point in the year they'll play well for a while and it'll drop off, whether it's early, late or whatever. I just don't see them putting a full good season together because they, they just don't. And what happened at the end of last year playing well doesn't tend to matter with them. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel really bad because there's a few uh, listeners who have been around since the beginning, um, some of them I'm thinking of right now, who are, who are absolutely diehard Warriors fans, but I just, I very rarely can, can give them much to look forward to in my opinion of them, uh, and it's very similar to yours, I tend to think that the Warriors, throughout my whole life really, like... I mean, early on they had guys like Stacey Jones and so forth, and they mm. had a really good side. But even then, they kind of always had pretty small windows of being really competitive. Like, when they were good, they sort of had that, the two-year periods and then sort of would fall down again. Lately, like the last decade, it's very much been starting again every year. Um, mm. And it's sort of funny, too. Like, the Warriors themselves as a club, but also their fan base, kind of start over again and sort of have the same expectations the next year with the same type of roster. Um, it's sort of hard to explain. Like, I always find it really weird. Like, I, I always sort of think, oh, yeah, the, you know, people are saying, oh, the Warriors are going to come good and they're going to sort of push for the top eight, you know, and then they don't they don't quite get there and maybe they have a good run and it's like, oh, okay, well, we can build on it next year. But they never really build on it next year. They're always a similar yeah. team, like you said, yeah. and they never really can get over that hump. Now, I guess my issue with them this time around might be a little bit different in that... Um, Brownie isn't the sort of coach that's going to get teams over the hump, and you know that pretty well from the Knights. Like, he did pretty well at turning over the roster and stuff and rebuilding it a little bit and putting them in some sort of position, but when it came time to get results, he was actually out the door. Um, now, I guess it's all about expectation, really, with a lot of this stuff. So, I mean, if the Warriors and their fans had an expectation that, Nathan Brown, can you come in, clean up this roster, put good systems in place, and take two years to do it, um, I think it would probably work out quite well for them. But with the sort of roster they have, the type of signings that they've had, and the club's expectations and the fans' expectations, it's kind of like, okay, Brownie's going to come in and we can try and we'll make the top eight and sort of make the finals and we'll build. I don't know if it's going to happen that quickly. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a little bit of an odd matchup for me with the type of roster they have and what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they're at the place they need to rebuild. Um, Brownie's defence, uh, I watched a game on my... Um, uh, my podcast the other day um, about from about 04 and the Dragons and I had a bit of a look at how he went in the Dragons and I didn't quite realise when he took them over when he was 28, they'd come 8th, 10th and 10th for three years before and he sort of I'd forgotten that because everyone thinks of him as the guy that had to make way for Bennett to win a comp um, and whilst that's true he did take them from sort of basically having not made the finals in three or four years, he did build that squad up to come in the top four, three or four years in a row and be, they were the side that everyone thought would win the comp and ultimately 
would lose <laughs> in the prelim. So he probably has that, but it's a very long time ago now. And yeah, I just don't see it as the right match. I didn't like how it came about. They talked about how he didn't even apply for it, called the Warriors guy to have a chat about something and they liked each other so much. He had, he was hired by the end of the week. To me, that's not how you go about professional <laughs> rugby league appointments. I, I don't quite get it. And I hope I'm not bagging out too much Warriors fans. I just don't, I, I, it's an odd match. I hope it works out for you. I'd like to see New Zealand doing well. I think it's good for the game when they do, but I, I, I sort of see that they could, you know, have an outstanding year and that would be seventh. You know what I mean? I, it's hard to see much. That would be in, a, in a, like a really strong season to me. Yeah, um, I yeah. agree with you. And it, I mean, with Brownie as well, we all have to remember that um, when he got that out of the Dragons, it's because he got all slappy, mm. you know, so he started yeah. slapping players around. So, and then he couldn't do it anymore. And then he didn't go very well after that. So, I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. that was the key to it. And he was like a, a brilliant coach whisperer, but he was just well, before his time. Um, I wanted him to slap a lot of players when he was at Newcastle. And that, <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't do it. <laughs> Wasn't allowed to. Um, I didn't like how they really signed him either. Because if you remember, there was a lot of, credentialed coaches and I, I know we probably disagree a bit on like Jeff Tuvey for instance mm. but I'm not saying he's the most phenomenal coach but I think he's a decent coach and he's an NRL level coach and he is the sort of coach where if you've got a roster that you think's got enough talent and you're bringing in like seasoned NRL players like Aitken and, and guys mm. like this to come in and perform Tuvey's the type of guy that you would look at hiring now I'm, I'm not even saying that they definitely hire him but to not even interview him um, or put him through the process. And that was multiple guys as well where that happened to, if you remember. Well, he's more credentialed in terms of he's been to a grand final and Nathan Brown hasn't. So I don't see on what planet Nathan Brown, if, if you want to hire Nathan Brown, that's fine. Again, I'm really not that unfond of him. I think he's got some good aspects. But if you're hiring him, I don't see how you can not interview Jeff Tuvey. They're at too similar a level in terms of what they've actually achieved to not even give one an interview that if, if he's your candidate that you actually want, surely, you know, guys on that level are getting interviews, but look, yeah, look, I, I wish them all the best. I just, the way I see it, I think they had three or four good years with Stacey Jones. And I think outside of that, um, they remind me a lot of Newcastle and that they've floundered along over long periods of sort of semi rebuilding, but every three years you're back to the starting the rebuild. Um, I think, um, Steve Kearney being there in the height of Sean Johnson's prowess was the worst thing that could have happened to them and it's a real regret for me for the game that that happened because he really took the magic out of what they were doing there and, and really I think took Johnson's game backwards a lot and that was your in you can't get a player that good and make the finals once in <laughs> seven or eight seasons um, after their grand final run so I think to me they they need to back some of the guys they've got there now. They've got some good young players. The two of us are checked. Things going to hurt them, and they probably need to start looking at three or four years of, of trying to go from a team that can come six to eight to a team that can come in the top four. But I just don't see it at the moment, and we don't have anything in the history to say that they've got that sort of patience and that commitment to one plan. Yeah, and look, it's a time where if two of us are checked, go on. Mm. Um, I mean, we might see some crazy turnaround where he renegs and decides that he's going to stay. But if he's gone, like this, that's the type of thing where it could it could go either way. Like with some clubs, you sort of think they're going to galvanise and sort mm. of get around him. And two of us, Sheik's going to say, "This is my best season ever," and he's just going to kill it, and it's really going to help them. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the time when the Warriors team has faced adversity in the past, they've there's also the other way that you can go, which they tend to do sometimes, where they sort of just buckle and just sort of throw yeah. it in a little bit. And I guess that's a concern. You know, are they going to galvanise, get around RTS and say, this is our year, RTS is going next year, let's do it? Or are they going to sort of drop their bundle and go, oh, well, shit, 
it's done this year. Forget it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I think that the, the thing with RTS too, I'm very fond of him. I think he's an outstanding player, but he's one of those guys that him lifting, I don't know how much that does for their team because to me, to make a sort of an odd analogy, it's sort of like Josh Mansell lifting. Like at the end of the day, he just takes more runs and steps more people, but his style of game, him stepping up, he doesn't set up tries. He doesn't do X, Y, and Z. What he brings is high quality returning and a lot of runs and a lot of stepping and all this stuff. Like it's it's like... If he makes five more runs a game and beats one more person, does it move your score? Does it move your team up the table? He's a great player, but they need it's other people that need to step up. His best football is very good at what it is, and it has its limitations in other areas. You know, like if he adds ten percent, what difference? They need other players need to step up if they're going to have a better season. They need their halves and their hooker, which they don't have, need to actually get them forward and start setting up points. It's not going to come from him. It yeah, never that's, has. That's yeah. true. I mean, I do think that he's yeah. improved out of sight, really, um, in the last sort of couple of years on his playmaking, but he took a step back in that last year, which was disappointing. I think the two years before, and we'll get to RTS, his playmaking yeah. was a lot better than it used to be. Um, I, to finish off on going over them before we get into the players and the draw, I mean, I think that they're, they're right at the point, it's a tipping point, where Nathan Brown's going to earn his money by his next recruitment for next year. And it's a type of thing where, you know, if DC got offered... Um, and I mean, DC is not off contract for a while, but just as an example type of player, you know, someone like DCE, if he got offered, you know, 1.5 million a year by most clubs, you'd say that's, that's ridiculous. Do not, mm. you cannot pay him that. Whereas the Warriors almost need to say, let's give him a three year deal and let's just pay DCE 1.5 million because they kind of need those quality experienced players to come over mm. the ditch and they, they need a couple of them. You know, they need like a DCE and like a, a David Clemmer or something. Um, you know, those type of players that are representative players to kind of come over. And certainly one of them's got to sort of be a quality seven or six. I mean, Munster comes to mind if he didn't resign, you know, with the, yeah. you know, those type of guys, they almost have to just throw the checkbook at those guys and just sort of let their juniors sort of pop in and, and play roles. Don't they? Yeah, I think so. I think the one thing they could look at, like, I'm interested to see how Harris Tavita goes this year. I think he's a good player. Um, if he can, if he can play good football, I would have a think, I think a model they could look at because their hooking position is atrocious. It stinks. It's like, it's terrible. They're playing Siren in there in trial games and stuff. It's absolutely abysmal. Um, they could have a serious look at having a chase at Brandon Smith. And a good fullback. You could almost use two of us a Sheck and one cut player to look at Brandon Smith and a, a, a mid tier fullback. You know, um, you're not your Teddy two of us a Sheck sort of level, but that tier under, if you can tier under the fullback position, whether it's a young guy or a, you know, even a Joseph Manu or someone coming through, if you can pull that and Brandon Smith, that might be two guys out of good systems if you're backing Harris Tevita. But this is the year we'll find out whether Harris Tevita is any good. I think he's got all the promise you want to play first grade. But for me, I've haven't, he needs to play there for a full season for us to see whether he's the goods or not. Cause little runs are all he's had to do. He's been in and out of the seam on the bench starting. So I need to see, you know, 20 games and see how many of them are good. And if he's good, that's a way they could look at doing it is to, you know, three quarters of a good fullback plus Smith to nail that hooker spot. But, you know, we'll see. I think they really need to see. I think probably by round 10, they need to make a decision whether he's their long-term halfback or whether they're looking for him. Yeah, I mean, Adam Reynolds is off contract and I'm not a big fan of signing him to big money. And I've had some disagreements with people online about that. I don't think at his stage of his career with his injury history and stuff that you should be paying him long-term. But imagine, mm. and... This won't happen, but 
imagine a package deal where you, you know what, Adam Reynolds is off contract. Let's just offer like a package deal, like like the Bulldogs did with the Turbo Brothers. But let's offer it to Damian Cook and Adam Reynolds and say we'll pay both of you to come across together. Um, that's the type of move that's a real game changer. But I think Cook's got a couple of years left um, and Reynolds mm. is off contract. But if something like that happened, you know, that yeah. would be a game changer for them and exactly what, what they sort of need, I reckon. Um, but let's have a look at the draw real quickly. So when we're looking at the Warriors draw, you know, I've, I had only glanced at it previously and I hadn't looked at it closely until this podcast came up. And a lot of people around the traps were saying, oh, the Warriors have got a pretty good run. And I had a close look at the draw and I said, oh, yeah, I don't really see it. Um, so when you're having a look at their their run for the first half of the season, they don't play the round 13 bye, which is a bit of a bummer. They start off reasonably well playing the Titans and then the Knights. Um, not bad matchups whatsoever. And then they go away to play both the Raiders and the Roosters. And I was like, wow, that's like that's a real tough three and four round matchup for them, playing the, the Raiders and the Roosters. And traditionally, I think they've got pretty poor records against both. And then the, it gets a little bit easier where they then go, okay, well, we've got the Eagles and the Dragons, but then they hit the Storm, you know, and that's a really tough game for them. Um, they generally play well against the Storm, but they're, they're pretty gritty sort of games a lot of the time. And then they hit the Cowboys, Manly again. Um, then they hit a, the Eels, who are going to be at home at least for them, so they're not travelling to Bank West. And then the Tigers and Cowboys. So, yeah, you know, they've got a couple of good games in there, but they also play... The, the Roosters, the Storm and the Raiders in, within their first 12 games, who are all probably top four teams, and then sort of, you know, definitely top five-ish teams like the Eels are in there as well, and then some fringe guys. Like, I don't I don't think it's an exceptional draw for Supercoach. I just sort of see it as, yeah, okay, but I think if you're looking at the early dividends of that first month, that round three to four matchup really kills you. Yeah, I, the first... Well, they could lose all of the first four. I mean, the Titans aren't... Um, we, we don't know what we're going to get from the Titans. Everyone thinks because they were good at the end of last year, they're going to be great this year and um, get some news for you. It doesn't always work like that, but let's say they are good. I mean, they might lose that game. Uh, Newcastle, uh, probably a middle of the table team and are every likelihood of, of beating them on any given day. It could go either way. So they could be none and two and then going into Canberra and Sydney. There's every chance. I don't think it's a great draw. And I think the draw, the importance for me of the draw is I look at the draw when you, I want to see the Roosters have a good draw. I want to see the Storm have a good draw. I don't care when the team's going to come 12th. I don't give a shit what the draw looks like because like, they can lose to anyone. Like that's the way I see it. I think once you're coming, and if you've got to run like the Broncos, then the Dragons and then the, the Bulldogs or something, yeah, okay, we might start to have a look. But when you're that middle of the table team that's hard to predict that can lose any week and jag a good win one week and then be terrible, I just wouldn't look too close. I think it's something you look at when you're looking at a really good team. That's when you want to see who they're playing. This one doesn't matter. Unless yeah. you've got an absolute belter, who cares? They're just, they might win, they might lose. It's hard to predict. If you like your players, get them in, but don't bank on them flogging the Titans and the Knights, you know, because like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's more about Supercoach scores for me. I mean, like they, yeah. they could lose to the Titans, but it's, it might be a 30-28 to 28 type of loss. So you know that you're going to get your Supercoach points there, and the losses you know, on the actual table don't really matter too much. But if I guess with the... With the oh yeah, with, with the super coach, I, I agree. But I mean, I don't, I don't think it has to be thirty twenty eight. It can also be thirty nil, like against them. Like they, they can get flogged by the Titans or the Knights as well. Like both those teams could flog them, and yeah. they might, they might beat them. But that's probably the thing is you're relying on a team that's going to come twelfth, trying to pick their good days. And the bottom line is when you come around that, you don't have a season of good days. You have five good days and ten 
mediocre ones and a few stinkers. And I just don't think you should try too hard to predict that unless the draw's outstanding. That's all. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, that edges our way into our first gun to talk about, and that's two of ours at Sheck. Um, now, when we're having a look at RTS, he is coming in at 520000 Very cheap. Um, you know, he only averaged 59 points a game in 2020, which is a bit disappointing for him. Uh, and 2019, he averaged 71. So, you know, last preseason, uh, he was never really in the hunt because there were so many other good fullback options for round one. But there was obviously a few pod hunters going, you know, I'm going to go dual fullbacks, but one of them's going to be RTS. That happened a little bit. And there were certainly runs during the season where I even looked at him and talked about him on the podcast and said, look, he's gotten pretty cheap. You know, maybe for this next few week run, he might be an all right buy. He didn't really come through very well. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, it's it's a shame because I really like RTS as a player and I do think that he's very good. But all of a sudden, when you look at his recent form, I think that it's almost a myth or, na- or false narrative that's been created that you just sort of got it in your head that he's this phenomenal super coach player. But the last four years, you know, he had his 2019 season of 71 points. But the other three seasons that flank it, you know, 59 points last year, then in 2018 it was 57 in 2017, it was 60, where he only just edged on to gun status. You know, he hasn't actually been that good at New Zealand um, as far as super coach goes. When you have a bit of a dig into the stats, Luke, you know, I was I was really disappointed. Uh, and there's probably two ways to look at this as well. But when you're looking at the numbers, he only had three tries this in 18 games last season. Now, I mentioned to you already, one of the things that I really admire and give credit for with RTS, you know, at the Roosters, it, his last season with us to his first, he was night and day in his passing. Like, his passing game was so much better when he left us. And you could see him starting to be a playmaker at the Warriors for a couple of years. Granted, he wasn't, you know, doing it like a turbo or anything, but it was a hole in his game, and he managed to be decent at it. So he's done well. But then three tries this last year is very low, and it's the lowest in a couple of years. And then you have a look at his try scoring, and he had eight line breaks in. 18 games, which, yeah, it's all right. Only had five tries in 18 games, which for a strike weapon like him isn't a lot. Um, and then when you look at his base attack, you know, you can see where his value comes in because it was still decent. Despite him having a down year, he still had about 3.6 tackle breaks a game and one offload a game. That's good. Uh, and he's, you know, his raw work rate, you know, he had a raw base of 35. But all of a sudden, you know, it's his sort of, you're relying on his base base attack to give you that 45-odd points, maybe towards 50 even when he's having his good days. Um, but it's just the other stuff just wasn't there like it used to be. And as a result, he only actually hit 60 plus 39% of the time in his 2027 compared to you know 70% of the time in 2019 he was going 60 plus. So that's why he comes in at 520k. Luke, two ways to look at it. One, he's not going to go that well this year as a buy. Um, but the other way to look at it is... He's got to improve on some of those numbers this year. And certainly if they galvanise and step up or RTS just takes it upon himself to have a great final swan song Mm. season with the Warriors, maybe he really rips in. In which case, at the moment, as we know, you know, that second fullback spot, if you want a pod or someone to spend less on at 520k, maybe, you know, you could look at him. I'm just not sure what way it will go. Yeah, a couple of things on that. I think if he, that, that's my issue with him, as I mentioned before. If he fires up and wants to have a great year, you can't fire yourself up into being clever. Like, that doesn't work like that. He might make extra runs, but that's often game determined. You can be keen as you want to take as many runs as possible, but a couple of extra runs won't move his average that much. And one week it'll be raining, and the next week they'll be kicking the ball into touch to avoid him, blah, 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 blah. And there's just games where even the best work rate backs don't 
run enough because of just the flow of the game. Maybe they have the ball for 10 minutes and you don't need to come out of trouble. Those things happen. And I, I don't have never thought he has the playmaking to be the best super coach fullback unless he has a lot of things go his way. He had that at the Roosters because he had everyone around him and a simple job to do. By the end of that career, they'd worked him to get him into simple positions that suited his style of play um, and to maximise what he was good at and, and you know, to give him simple passing and things he could execute. And at the Warriors, it, that did go backwards fairly noticeably. I think when he had Sean Johnson as the primary playmaker, he worked himself into a position where he could be a secondary option, where they could do things on the field where he was getting the ball in a place he could make a difference. But that hasn't happened since Johnson's gone. They've got what they've gone is got players in who are not setting up tries and they just give the ball to him on block plays in bad positions. It's a combination of it's not his strength and they don't play to his strengths in attack. They, they need, if you want to use him, you need to isolate him up the middle of the ruck, get him one on one with people turning inside balls and all this. And they give him block plays out the back that are slow where the inside playmaker hasn't done a lot or given him much opportunity. And that that's, I don't really see that changing. Um, Nathan Brown coached Caelan Ponga uh, for sort of two seasons. Um, Ponga was outstanding when he broke into first grade off all this natural talent. He got worse as the year went on and he was, you know, fairly shitty, frankly, in the second year. Um, he had a reasonable season because of his talent, but everyone's frustration was that they were using him badly and not enough. And that was Nathan Brown as a coach. So why do you think he's going to go there and suddenly twig as to how they should use two of us as Sheck? I'm, I'm not sold on that. I don't think um, that's going to be the case. And I just, on the issue, I just wouldn't look there. I think, could he improve on the average? Sure, but he might improve to 65. And what, what's the point? I, I just think everyone's obsessed with the idea of two fullbacks. And if I can make a brief point on that, I'll probably have two, and that's fine. I'm not saying don't do it, but stop wetting yourselves, everyone, to the idea that you need two fullbacks because we've all said that. We said that because the best players in the game were fullbacks. There was two years ago, we had Ponga, you know, Turbo, and Teddy. So we needed two fullbacks because they were all going to average 70 plus. Now that Ponga isn't playing, and now that Travojevic isn't playing, Teddy may well be the only one to average that. If you think Pappenhausen will fine, do it. But you don't need to get another gun fullback just because we made a rule about that when all the gun fullbacks were playing. Now that they're not, if you want to get a 65 average at RTS, play Matt Moylan as your backup fullback and get a 65 average from a back rower who's actually going to average 65. You know, or that, that's the way I see it. You don't need to get one of these pod fullbacks to average the sort of number any position is going to average. We did it because they were going to average 70. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and there's always a million different ways to do a super coach build, and mm. I don't think, well, I'm not going to say I don't think any of them are wrong. Some of them are wrong, but <laughs> there's uh, there's a lot of them that are fine to go for if you nail it. Um, I mm. am one that I will say though that I think that two fullbacks is needed. That's just me and how I feel about it, because um, I think there's enough good fullbacks. I mean. I, I won't get too much into it, but I, I've got Gutherson mm. there as a second fullback if I want to well, pod. And I mean, Pappenhausen, yeah. I'll probably end up swapping to because I don't have the yeah. balls to go with Gutho. But there's just enough big ceiling guys. And I mean, that's what I'll make a point on RTS to finish off on. Luke, if you look at him, he doesn't actually have that many big games. Like, he had 123 mm. points in round 16 versus your guys, Newcastle. Mm. But aside from that, like, including that 123, he only had four games out of 18 that were 70+. plus. All the yeah. rest of them, you're hoping... Are, you know, you're, you're paying for a good base, but a lot of them are like, you know, 42, 49, 26 in a row. Mm. And he started last year um, basically averaging about 48 points in his first six weeks. You know, it was really bad. And then when you have a look at the five tries that he scored, um, four of those five tries were between around 14 and 16. He did it in a three 
round period where he went 43, 79, and 123. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, that's right. And then after that, you know, he basically had one try in those other 15 games that he played. You know, it was real peaks and troughs, and there was a lot more troughs than peaks. So I I agree. I don't like him as, as an option because of what he did last year. Um, and I agree as far as the 65 you mentioned. I think that might be his upside. You know, he might give you a bit of a 65, but it's probably not worth it, as you said. Yeah. I do think that there's other fullback options, though, that I'm keen yeah. on. So. I'll have you out on that. If you if you think – I'm not saying you shouldn't play a second fullback, but I think what I would make the point is I think a lot of people are going, you have to play two-gun fullbacks, and I think that thinking is really silly. I think if you think – like I don't want Clint Gutherson, but if you think that he's got to run a game because he scores big hundreds, and if you think he's got a chance to put a couple of them on, I totally understand doing that. But I think people are getting wedded to the idea that a year last year and the year before, you had to have two fullbacks because if you didn't have Travojevic and um, Teddy or, or Ponga and Teddy, you're missing 140s, and that kills you. What what I think now is is that now that they're gone, if you like someone – Sure, get them in, but the, the second fullback you're getting now is now not better than guns in other positions. They're equal. So if you see one and you love the draw and you love what they can do and you see upside, do it. But just don't wed yourself to the idea that without Ponga and Turbo, you have to get RTS or you have to get a Gutherson or you have to get Pappenhausen, even if you weren't impressed last year with how he started. Like, do it if you really like the look of them, but you're looking now at guys who aren't locked in to average well over 70, you're now looking at guys who that's their absolute best upside. So if you love them, do it. But if you don't, lock in some other, you can, there's no, nothing wrong with locking that into the back row now, you know? Like yeah, when it's RTS, when it's RTS, if you're, so, if you're thinking of RTS and you don't like the others, and I agree with it in that sense, yeah. like you're better off spending that money on a back rower. Um, yeah. And speaking about back rowers, Tohu Harris is the other gun that the Warriors have. And he just had a career season. He averaged 69 points in 2020, which was massive. Um, part of that was because he had one of the best raw base going around. 63 in raw base was huge. He was often named on an edge, but but played in the middle. His numbers were pretty astounding. Like he added, he played all 20 games of the season, and only two of them were below 50 points, and they were 48 and 49. So ridiculous consistency, uh, crazy base. You know, he had games. He had one game where he scored 70 points, and 70 of that was in raw base, without offloads, tackle breaks, anything. Um, other ones that were similar, where he scored 77 and 75 of it was raw base. I only actually had one try the entire season as well. Um, so fairly meat and potatoes, but he does have the odd offload, does have the odd tackle break as well. There probably is some upside for him to score more. Um, I guess, Luke, he's coming in at about 615k. Now, I'm not interested in Tohu. One, because he had a bit of an anomaly season. You know, before that 69, he was 59, 60, 58, and 67 back in 2016, but he was scoring some tries back then. I'm also not sure what to make of what Nathan Brown's going to do with him. Um, Conventional thinking would say, keep him in the middle. Nathan Brown doesn't necessarily conventionally think, so maybe he will put him on an edge. Uh, maybe he, you know, has a reduction in minute. I'm just not sure. And I think that his price point really hurts you because if you're paying, you know, almost 615k for a Tohu Harris, despite how good he looked last year, you could just be throwing an extra 20k, 30k at, you know, the Angus Crichtons and the Madisons and so forth. And that's a much better purchase for me because it's like far less risk. So if you don't have those guys and you've got a Tohu Harris there, it's a no-brainer not to have Tohu Harris to me. Uh, there's likewise a few, a few guys that are sort of, 
you know, 75k less than him, where you can save quite a bit of money and probably have a similar type of output if Tohu regresses to that sort of 63 to 65 range, which is sort of where I, I reckon I'll be pegging him at. So do you do you see Tohu, you know, replicating last year? How do you see Brownie looking at him for Supercoach? Nah, no way. I, I don't understand why you'd have Tohu Harris this year. Um, that's, that is a massive outlying season. It's different to what he's produced in the past. Even when he's had good seasons in the past, he hasn't produced the way he did last year. It's a totally different style. He's got a new coach. That coach last year, nobody has used Tohu Harris like that, and he's now gone. We have no real reason to think it's going to happen again. There's a lot of things that could happen. A lot of teams are moving to your Victor Radley small ball passing lock. They could use Tohu in the middle but have him pass a lot because he's a very clever player he could go to an edge and that's his absolute peak price I think he's absolutely primed to lose five points off his average I don't think he'll be bad I just think I, I can't see that happening again and you know the upside is probably I know he didn't score much but he's probably priced as good as he can do if he scores a few more it'll probably be because he's on the edge and scoring less in base um yeah. I just think if you look at that, you can get Cameron Murray for cheaper, who's probably going to be at lock with, with Benji Marshall on the bench, which suggests that there might be three forwards, not four in the rotation. You can get David Fafita for a heap cheaper to, you know, who's got obvious upside. I, I, I couldn't be ignoring those sorts of players, you know, even Tino down at five. I don't think you can ignore those players to lock in Tohu at six. It's just too much money. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, there's a few uncertainties. I, I don't, like you said, he's close enough to the absolute roll goal guys that you can pay that. And I would not really like to put my house on him doing better this year than Cameron Murray and David Fafita and those guys. Like it might happen, but there's, that's not that safe a bet. I'd rather just save the money. Well, the crazy part is that I see teams that have him, which is fine, but they don't have Madison or Crichton. And, and you don't have either mm. of those guys. And it's like, wow, like they're the best guys. Like, yeah, and not much yeah. more money. The elephant in the room with Tohu that I don't think a lot of people are looking at is he went through and got absolutely used and abused last year where he played big minutes and a full 20-game slated season away from home. And mm. the years before, you know, in remind you, in sort of 26-round seasons, he's played 13 games, 16 games, and 11 games. So on average, he's been missing over 50% of his games every year for three years leading into playing every game in 2020. And he's now turning 30 this year, I think. So that stuff doesn't, that stuff's not great either. Um, so there's a, he's had a lot of knee injuries, he's had a lot of knee injuries. Over yeah. The time. yeah. Yeah. So there's a few things there and like, it might be the sort of thing too, where, where Brownie sort of, it would probably be smart for Brownie to say, I don't want you to, as sort of one of our forward veterans, it's pretty clever. Like you said, I don't really want you to kill yourself doing all these um, meathead w- workouts that the guys that, in, in the middle should be sort of doing a bit more. Um, the other guys should be, you know. So yeah, and those couple things too. Better guys there, I think. Uh, with Fanua Blake has come in, who we'll talk about soon, but he's an alpha middle who's going to take a lot of that power in the middle and those moves up the centre. Um, Murdoch Masilla, when he's used, I imagine will be a bit of an impact player. They, they've probably brought guys in. Uh, Kane Evans is a guy who does take hit ups in the middle. To me, they've brought in a more powerful middle that probably removes the need for him to be making the amount of work he was doing as a like up the guts middle player. I think if he plays there, he'll be clever or he'll play on an edge or he'll do it for 55 minutes, not 80. Like I just probably just not the need for him to do that. You know, that when you look at the team structure, they'll run this year. Yeah. And for round one as well, it's all about the risk as well. Like if, you know, I mean, if, if he gets run into the ground the first month and he's going 70 plus and, you know, 
fine, go buy him. But I just don't, I don't yeah. think that it's worth it for round one with the unknowns and new coach and, and what we've seen from him before. But you mentioned Fanuel Blake, so let's chat about mm-hmm. him. Fanuel Blake is another gun in this side that's come over from Manly. And um, this is a good one because we, we disagree on this one a little bit. <laughs> so that's nice. We don't want to be agreeing on everything in the podcast. Um, Fanuel Blake's coming in at uh, uh, actual... Actually, pretty cheap, five hundred twenty-eight thousand compared to where we've seen him before. He fell just on gun status at sixty points a game. The year before was his coming out party in twenty nineteen, which was sixty-six points a game. So you could argue he's, he's six points underpriced to what we've seen and what he really should be. When you look at the minutes, you know the PPM stayed almost the same, dropped slightly, but really it was his minutes that took him down. He went from fifty-five minutes in twenty nineteen to fifty-one minutes in twenty twenty. Not a huge drop, but with his PPM. That's sort of where you get about five points from automatically, just from time on the park. There was a few things that I did notice um, that I didn't like about his game um, last season. And one of them was that he ended up being around two tackle breaks and under one offload a game. And I actually owned um, Fanil Blake for a period in 2019. And one of the things I loved about him is he could have these games where he's throwing three offloads. And that was fantastic. And he was quite good with the ball like that. And it was really good um, to own for super coach purposes. But he had this real drop-off last year. Now, it's kind of hard to tell why. And I can see both sides of it, despite me not being huge on him. One of them is that he did have some gripes last year with his contract, with not being re-signed. Uh, he had some other stuff happen as well, where you know he got wrapped over the knuckles by the NRL for his attitude and how he spoke a few times and to referees and stuff. Um, that was all there and... Maybe he kind of half-packed it in. There was also the the talk about who he was hanging around with and he needed to get out of Sydney because there were some bad elements and bad influences and stuff. All that might have meant that he sort of didn't go as hard or as well as what he could have. Um, Certainly, it looked a little bit like that. My question for you, Luke, since you like him, um, Mm. and obviously you've got some numbers as well and stuff that you like about him, but, I mean, the problem is if he was going to the Melbourne Storm or something like that, or the Roosters, or one of these other power clubs, I'd be quite excited for him. Traditionally, though, these type of guys are the exact bad signings for the Warriors to make. You know, these guys that tend to have some sort of attitude issues, or can be lazy at times, and then get a big payday that they're after, and then mm. go across to a middling Warriors side, and they're not really going to... They're, they're, more, they're more likely to fall into line and fall into bad habits than to lead the rest of the guys. So... That's sort of my worry with Fanua Blake as well. He could be a bit lazy going back to New Zealand and, and falling in with these guys and stuff. O- obviously, he does have the talent, though, and you like him. Yep, I like him. Um, I think the big one you've missed with some of those stats falling off is he had he was out twice with knee injuries last year, and yep. I think that's when you dig into the statistics. So his PPM went from 1.2 to 1.17, which is fairly negligible anyway, but when you look at why his minutes went from 55 to 51, um, basically he has a 20-minute a game where he scored a 16, then he was injured for a week, then they brought him back. They said it was a three-week injury, and they brought him back after one, and he scored 40 in 45 minutes um, coming back and got an early shower and stuff. So he's come back a bit undercooked. Then he played 53 and 54 minutes, so he went back to normal. Then he played 43 and 40. and uh, Sorry, he scored 43 and 40 and injured himself again, like that knee went again, and he didn't play for the rest of the year. So you've got this run from about round 15 to 20 where he's like – oh, sorry, from about middle of the season to the end of the year where he goes – plays 20-minute game, 
then misses a week, then plays at 15 minutes under his normal, or 10 minutes under his normal time, then plays two normal timed minutes with heavy strapping on his knee, then plays for 40 minutes and is injured, too injured to play the rest of the year. So to, to me, that's dragged his minutes down. He also got sin binned in a game, which has knocked his PPM a little bit because he got sin binned on the site, on the, on the, um, on full time one game. That'll um, probably so, happen again. So don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it, it's a weird one for a PPM because he got sin binned on full time. He didn't actually miss any time. So it's dragged his actual PPM is actually a bit skewed because he played, he got sin binned at the 80th minute of the yeah, game. Yeah, so the I points go one. down, but he, he didn't miss any time on the field. So it looks a bit weird. He still scored 50, <laughs> but, um, it, I guess, like when you look at those things, um, he his minutes would be fifty five if he didn't get the twenty minute game. He didn't have the the, the two forty five minute games and stuff like that. That takes his minutes back to fifty five, um, and he'd have averaged at the PPM he ran at. He'd have averaged sixty five. He'd have done the exact same that he did the year before. He's twenty five years of old, uh, years of age. Should be coming into the peak of his career at the moment. And I take everything on board that you say about the Warriors. I really do get that. Um, I think counter that to that is I think if you look at real super coach opportunities outside of your teddies and monsters, I think when you're looking for a guy who's going to be a gun, what you look for is talent in a roster. This is in forwards, in middle forwards, in halves and things like that. You look for a guy who has to do all of it because they don't have a lot of other good players. And to me, in that team, it's not a bad team, but in the forward pack, he is going to be the alpha of that pack. If you want to talk about Nathan Brown's coaching, the first time David Clemmer has ever established himself as a proper gun was under Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown gave him the minutes in the front row. He gave him 60 minutes in the front row to lead Newcastle's team. Uh, the year before that, when we had Herman Essiesi and not Clemmer, Essiesi averaged in the 55 sort of minutes, over 50 minutes a game. Don't quote me on exactly, but it was over 50 and he scored really well. Clemmer came in and he went, bang, here's your minutes. And he played more than he'd ever played and led the attack. And he's wanted Fanua Blake for years. He tried to get him to Newcastle. He blabbed all the time about how everyone wants a guy like that in your team. He's gone to New Zealand. He's got him. I don't see any planet when you look at Kane Evans, when you look at Murdoch Masilla and you look at the guys that they've got around, like what's um young Maney, whatever his real name is. I forget his name. They've got a cheapie from last year. Like they get those guys in that pack. He is going to get over 50 minutes. He's going to probably get 55 minutes. He might get more. He might not. I don't want you to bank on that. But at that time, his talent will see out. They're going to give him the ball. There'll be a bit of a loose side. I imagine he will pop the ball and do offloads and do stuff because he's sort of the alpha forward who can really afford to do that in that team. And he might be a bit lazy. He might fall off tackles. But to be honest, that never really matters much for super coach. If he's in the middle getting big minutes and you know, his talent will see him in the front row, knock a few enough guys over, pop the ball out enough to score well over a season. That's my view. I think I have four front rowers I've looked at. If you want gun gun front rowers, I've looked at him, Tino, SST, and and jump now that now that uh, Brandon Smith will be at hooker, I've also had a look at Welsh who I didn't like before. Um I, that's the four I see that I think if you want to, I'd be picking from them. I wouldn't be paying extra for Clemmer. I think those four um, and I think Fanua Blake's right there with them, are guys that are a little bit under the top price that we could genuinely see at the 65 mark in the front row. I, I like them, and I think I would not be surprised if he averages 65 this year, and I don't see the downside. I don't see him not averaging 60. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I just I don't think that you can go wrong with him, even though I'm not a big fan of him. Um, so that's that's probably meaning he's kind of safe-ish. Um, 
I would probably say that 55 minutes is his ceiling. I don't think that he can play more with the type of guy that he is, uh, but certainly I'd expect him to get 50 plus. And if he's doing that, you know, he should be able to give you 60 plus. Um, I'll give you a, a tip. If you're saying he's safe, if you look at his history of managing to score a hundreds, if you think he's a safe option, to me, that's a real reason to look at him. Because if he's safeish to average sixty, he's also a guy who can go big. So you're like, this can't go that wrong, and I might get, I might really get a score. Like I could get a run of hundreds or something or whatever. Like he, he's got that in him. So if you think he's safe, that's probably we agree. Like the, is that safety? But it's safety with an upside you probably don't get in a lot of the front row options. That's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I guess when I'm looking at him, like I'm looking at um, either a guy I'm more comfortable with, and certainly like if you're only having one, I can't see mm. how you possibly, you know, I know that you're looking at, at um, Takiyaho, but mm. I, I can't see anyone picking him over a Takiyaho when Takiyaho is not that much more. And if you're looking at a second guy, um, when I have a look at him, and yeah, he's sort of safe-ish, uh, I'm, I'm probably more inclined to, and some of your argument with the fullback stuff, Go down to those, there's a gluttony of guys sort of 300 to 350 that can punch 50s for you. Um, mm. I'm, I'm more inclined to save that couple of hundred thousand and put it somewhere else than to get a second guy in a Fanua Blake type of thing that I'm not as comfortable with. And I know that you say he's got that upside, he does, because like round seven last year, he killed the, killed the Sharks, scored 142 points. But if I look at the first six rounds, um, he averaged about 55. And, you know, that's not bad, but there wasn't sort of, there was only one of those where he went 60 plus, you know, it was a 39, 64, 55, 56, 59, 58. Safe, nice scores in those 50s aside from the first week, um, but not really giving you, you know, even 60 plus aside from the one. And that's the type of run that I'm a little bit worried about. Yeah. Like if I pay 515k for him and I get 55 average, but I get 52 average from paying 350k to, you know, a, a starting Leota at Penrith. Um, that's my that's my worry more than anything. Um, I and I'm not as convinced that he's going to do that 65 average. You know, if I was, then I'd probably see a bit more value, like you are, and it's a possibility. Yeah, that that's probably fair enough. I, I think that 39 was against Melbourne, I'm pretty sure, and David Clemmer got held to under 50 by them twice too. I think that skews. If you're going to look at his average in the first month, Melbourne held a lot of front rowers to bugger all scores, so it does skew. Like the rest of the scores you put were nearly 60, and then he hits 140. And I think to me, that's he's probably is that guy. He's he's your junior Paulo, not your you know not your old school sort of um. Sean Fensom or something like he's your junior Paulo who goes 50, 50, 90, not, you know, and you buy knowing that, but look, I'm not saying everyone has to have him. I think I'm personally have come round to two. I only wanted one prop. I've come round to two. My thinking is uh, I have got caught too many times being clever and getting trapped with a guy who ends up scoring 44 times that I can't get out of because I've gone cheap. I probably would rather say have Takiyaho and and Fanua Blake or Takiyaho and Tino or Takiyaho or something like that and go, oh, Welsh scored 63 times, I'll jump down to him, or Ben Murdoch-Masilla is scoring 50 on the edge every week, I'll jump to him, than the reverse. Um, that That's the way I'm sort of seeing it, is I just I get worried about getting stuck playing someone bad in my 13 all the time when I get it wrong and not being able to get out of it because I've gone as cheap as I possibly can. Um, so I'm trying to get in a spot where I'm like, I've got two guys who really aren't going to be terrible, hopefully will go well, and, yeah, I'll jump to the 300 guy in two weeks. Um, if you, I wouldn't have him as my only one. I think we're agreed. If you're looking for a second one, 
I, you know, I, I just have a look at him. I reckon for those out there, it, it's a nice little option. You could be really patting yourself on the back if he goes well, and I don't think you'll hate yourself. So, <laughs> <laughs> you probably won't hate yourself. I don't think you'll yeah. be going well enough for you to be popping the champagne, but you're not going to hate yourself. Oh. I'll agree on that one. Um, well, I probably get, me, get got... me on at round 12 and we'll see how he's going. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably got uh, Paulo. I, I rather, um, Clemmer, I would rather, um, and yeah, it definitely uh, Tino for the 500k price point, um, I think his value as well. So I've probably got a few guys in front of him, but one last thing on AFB before we move off is that he's going to be a complete pod. I don't think, he'll probably be a little bit owned. He might get sort of 4% or something, but he's going to be a pod as well. So certainly an option worth considering. Um, Jazda Vargas is an interesting one though. He's the final gun on this Warriors side. He averaged 62 points in 2020, uh, but he only managed 12 games. And very much, you know, Jazz, you know, he played 22 and 19 games um, the two seasons before. But having said that, they're, again, larger round seasons. So he's still, you know, missing 20% of each season still. Um, but his minutes just go up and down all the time like a yo-yo, and he's never really been able to put it together. He did average 62 points, though, and he did that in only 47 minutes a game, which had... A ridiculous career high PPM of 1.32 points. Um, only 50 in raw base, but that's because his base base attack is tremendous. Got the offloads and the tackle breaks down, um, and that's what you want to see. He only scored the one try in his 12 appearances as well. So really, it's all about the base and the base attack, but it all hinges on his minutes. Now, obviously, they've got Egan down. Um, as far as what their side's going to look like, you would think that Maybe Brownie's just going to say, look, Tavaga's a very good player. He's probably too good for me to have on the bench. I'll probably put him in and start him at nine. Uh, and if he does, I mean, look, he's got all the attributes to be a decent buy. Um, but price at 62, he's not the cheapest guy. But 550k isn't going to break the bank either. And he is a dual second row hooker, which is mm. kind of interesting. Where do you see Jazz Tavago? I mean, do you think that Brownie will definitely start him at nine at the moment? And how many minutes do you sort of see him going up oh, to? I can't see. I don't have enough insight over there to know what Brownie's going to do with it. But Brownie loves to make a hooker. He brought he brought second rowers to the Knights in his very early years. Um, a bloke called David Barner who was playing, who'd played lock in the Warriors' twenties. He brought over and said, "I'm going to make him a hooker." He played once and it was a terrible mistake. He brought Kurt Mann here to play hooker and it was a terrible mistake. I mean, it's not bad that we have him, but he certainly wasn't any good at hooker and it was a bad idea to plan that. Um, you know, he's got a bit of a history of trying to makeshift hookers into existence. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he uses Jazz, who I know can play that, but Jazz really, like the Jazz we like is a lock forward. Um, I think there's too much uncertainty at 552. I had him last year as a little humble brag. It was one of the best things I did. Um, I, I wouldn't have a look at him for 550. I think he'll have to spend time at hooker and that will obviously drop his PPM from last year because you can't make offloads from dummy half. Um, it's not running the ball. Um, and I know they've been training Ciro as some hooker, which don't get me – we're going to not discuss that if that's okay. That's making me a bit ill. But So I suspect he won't be playing – certainly won't be playing a whole game at hooker. And I think with Tohu Harris, Fanua Blake, Murdoch Masilla and these guys in the rotation, there's no – he could play lock like hooker and then go to lock, but you need to wait and go see that because they don't need to do that. They've got enough middle players now that they don't really need to, say, play 20 minutes at hooker and then play the game out at lock or something like that. It's unlikely, and if it happens, go and buy him, sure, because like, he'll be a freak. But I wouldn't be spending 550 to start the season. If you look in the back row, you can get David Fafita for that. You can get Tino 
for cheaper than that. You can get at Nathan hooker, Brown. you can get Nathan Brown, exactly right. You go to the um you go to hooker, you know, you could take a flyer on Brandon Smith while while with um with Grant out and then also for Nukin out for eight weeks for cheaper, or you could spend sixty K and have Damian Cook. Like I don't there's just it's the positions. If like if it was available at freaking center or something, sure. But he's in a position where there's a lot of other guys that probably don't need as much to go right. Because he's got a new coach, you'll probably have to play hooker. That'll drop his PPM, and they, we just don't know what he'll then when he'll move to the back row and for how long. Yeah, know? I mean he's only yeah. he only did forty seven minutes, so like I think that if he starts at hooker, he'll probably be looking at sixty. But that'll probably end up with his drop in runs and offloads, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. meaning that you get what you pay for. And I don't think sixty two yeah. is good enough to get what you pay for. When it's Tedesco and he's averaging ninety five, if you get what you pay for, you're elated. If it's yeah. a Jazz Tavaga at 550k and you're getting 62 back for your 62 price, I don't think it's worthwhile with the other options. So you definitely have to wait and see, and there could be some weird stuff that happens with it. Um, so I, I don't think that you can go there. I yeah, have it, a, I the other to, thing, one thing, yep. is it could also not work. That's the thing to keep in mind. You you might be right. He might get 60 minutes at hooker, but he has not played hooker for a while. They have not relied on it, and if they're not winning, that may change. So you may get 60 minutes of hooker for two weeks, but they might can that and he's on the bench three, four weeks in and you spent 550K and they go, nah, that really didn't work. We need to pull some guy out of reserve grade who's a halfback to play hooker because this sort of middle forward stodgy hooker isn't working. Like that's when you pay 550, it's like Reese Martin the other year, you pay that because he was a gun who could average 70, but he's the sort of player that can get dropped. And I just, I don't want to pay 550 for guys that could get moved and dropped. You know, you want to pay for guys who are locked in. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, look, at the end of the day, with him as well, you, with your team, you want to take some risks, but you don't yeah. want to take too many of them. And mm. the ones that you do take, you want them to be calculated risks because there's two different sorts of risks. There's calculated ones where it makes sense that it could pan out really well. But then there's just risks that are risks that, you know, you just don't know. And those are the risks that you don't want to take. And I think Tobago falls in that boat where it's just a shot in the dark risk where we really don't know what will happen. And that's too much risk to, to go there. Speaking about risk, we do have uh, one guy that we've got listed as a mistake for the Warriors, and we're not even going to go through the numbers. I'm not even going to ask you, Luke, because I know that you uh, agree with me, and we'll move on from him. But Ken Mamolo, I've seen a few people talk about, only averaged 54 in 2020, only had the eight games and went home. His best season was 60 points a game in 2019, and he had to go ballistic to do that. It's not worth paying 500k for him, guys. The few teams that I've seen with him, I've said, get him out. Um, There's far better options. He's definitely a mistake for me. And when you hit those... Harder games in round three and four versus uh, the Raiders and the Roosters away. It's, it's not going to be great for him. He can score tries and still only score 55 points. Uh, but Big Ball's pods, the two centers are interesting as Big Ball's pods, just to look at briefly. Hiku and Aitken can put together some good runs. Now, Aitken, I think, is a guy that needed a change of scenery. Um, he is probably a guy that, you know, you alluded to. If Brownie put him as an edge back rower, it might actually work out quite well for him. But at the moment, he's going to be a centre. He's a guy that's always had decent base. So, I mean, 37 raw base in 2020, um, but his base and base attack sort of where it's at. If you combine his base-base attack, he's always been one of those guys that can sort of get towards 50 without actually getting the tries and line breaks and stuff. He's got some big scores in him. You know, he'll always throw up um, one, one or two tonnes a year. He had 103 points last year where he's just scored the one try. Uh, which was great. 42 of that was raw base, which is fantastic. And he had several games where he was in the 40s just in his raw base, let alone adding his base attack in there. So they were huge games where he was sort of 
mid to late 50s, even 60s, when you combine his raw base and base attack. So here's a guy that comes in where he's not cheap at center wing, but he's not going to kill your bank either at 476k. He's not going to be owned at all. He averaged 54 points in 2020. He's always been kind of a 50-ish point average guy. So with those type of guys, it's not like they're going to be a, I'm going to put him in for round one and hold him for the season. They're the type of plug and play for a period of time and then get rid of guys. So I think that for me, I've always been a fan of Aitken, and I think that he will actually do well for the Warriors. If the That's where, it, Luke, for me, it comes into if the Warriors had a plum draw for the first month, I would actually be interested in looking at that because of his high floor and he, he's upside to score some tries from them early on. I think with their draw, though, I don't see it because of the, the round three and four. Otherwise, I would have actually looked at him as a bit of a big balls pod. Yeah, I know where you're coming from. Aitken, to me, I like him. I've had him a few times before. He is a post-HIA player. He's a player where you look for the zero in the, the HIA in the 10th minute, then the 240s after, and when you get him for 350, that's when you get him in. That's the sort of thing you need to spy up during the season. He's a great buy. I'm not paying that much money for him to play centers for the Warriors. He's not going to score enough tries to make it worth my while. I'll get someone cheaper who makes money, or I'll pay a little bit more and, and bank someone I can hold. Um, he's a watch. There'll be guys like that during the year that we just got to wait for that game where they HIA and follow it up by not scoring and get that beautiful drop for us, and you grab him, work him back up into the 500s, and then sell him. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We'll wait for him. Funnily enough, a guy that's went under the radar a bit last year was Peter Hiku, the other centre. And he's actually priced pretty similar at 495k, so still sub 500. Coming off a 56 average, which was his best in years, but the way he did it was really interesting. Um, so he actually had some pretty big games in 2020. He had two tons, scoring 106 and 104 points. Uh, with multiple tries involved there, but that's kind of what he does. He had another game where he went 92 points in the final game of the year where he had no tries. Uh, so he had those three scores of 90-plus. He had a lot of dirt in there as well, but he just had some really good runs. Um, now, he's another one where I'm going to put him similar, where he does he does seem to need a new coach to come in, I think, but he did show a lot of potential. And he did show a lot of runs, but... I'm going to guess that you're probably the same on him, whereas I think he's a good pod play, massive balls pod play, but a decent one if they had a, a great starting draw. Um, but that round three and four matchups probably mean you stay away. But I reckon during the year, he might even end up being someone that's better than Aitken if he ends up dropping the sort of that 350 mark and you could plug and, and no one else is going to have. Yeah, I, he has to drop. I'm not interested in Peter Hiku. 494, he's lazy, he misses tackles. I'm just not, nah, no way. <laughs> I can't see it. I just, I think he's a typical sort of player they take over there that falls off tackles, doesn't chase people when they're going back. He'll have too many lazy games, have too much dirt. If he gets to cheat, you have a look at him because he's got a bit of talent. But nah, you look at his last seasons, he got 45 in 2018, 49 in 2019, 56 last year. I'm not paying that for him based on that history. Let's no. wait and see. You yeah. can't for round one, but no. he deserves a mention because quite mm. under the radar, 44% of his games were 60 plus yeah. and he played 18 out of 20. Like it's, If you get in a center that gets 50 plus games at 60 plus, that's actually really good uh, for super coach. Um, mm. So, you know, he's edging towards that. So he's definitely on my watch list as a big under the radar type of guy, but certainly not for round one. Um, Nick Arima, I'm just going to say, is the same. He ended up having a huge season where he had like a try assist a game and was actually 
putting up some big scores. That's still many only average 52 points. I've seen some people look at him. Um, I don't think that you really can, and I think that his other partner, CHT, is more interesting. So let's just go straight to CHT, because uh, he should have the goal kicking. He's also got a bit of upside. So when I'm having a look, only had six try assists in 13 games that he played, um, and only one line break try. He also had a really poor base attack, which might stay with him. But you'd expect with a full season, like you said, that he's going to up those try assists potentially, but certainly with the type of game that he's got, I would expect him to you know, upgrade on those try numbers and those line break numbers as well. So looks like he's going to have goal kicking um, as far as his price point goes. So yeah, he comes in at 425k. So he's one of those guys that fits in the mid-range category and only averaged 48 points a game last year in 73 minutes. Obviously, he had those games on the bench and so forth that he came in on. You know, he's going to get 80 minutes a game this year or be dropped, I would think. So you could even argue that he's got, you know, four or five points better just by being on the park for the extra, um, you know, seven minutes a game. And then he's got the goal kicking on top, which if you're being conservative, you know, maybe he's eight points a game as well. You've got at least a dozen points there just from not having bench games, not being thrown around the team, having the minutes and then having the goal kicking on top if he's definitely got that. So that actually puts him at a 60 point as it is without looking at the upside of only scoring the one try in his 13 games as well, which he should improve on and only 0.5 um, try assists a game as well. So there is a bit to like about him and he's one of those few, few dual halfback 5.8s as well, Luke, which is quite handy. So... Interesting. I, I would like him a lot more, and I've said this about so many guys, so I probably sound like an idiot at this point, but I like him a lot more if he was like 350k, but he's obviously 425k, so it makes it that little bit harder to sort of pull the trigger and decide for sure. But he's he's probably one of their mid guys that I think could go into um uh, could go to another level this year, maybe. Yeah, I like him. I think the, the benefit to him is he has a lot of different ways to score points, um, which is great. He reminds me a bit of Jim, uh, uh, um, Luai in that he can do something one game and do something else next week, which I really like for super coach. Having avenues to points is very important, but you know, he makes a lot of tackles for a half and he, he puts his gloves up and tries to tackle well. He, 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 he runs the ball. He can pass. He, he can kick for tries. So he just still has a lot of things that can happen in a game to get him to 60 which is really good. And the goal kicking, and he kicks well, is a good floor. And he's an aggr- he's just that aggressive sort of touch player, you know, the Benji Marshall, Luai sort of, that mould of touch football player who tends to just rack points up. Um, so I really like him. I think I'm not confident enough of him to make him my starting 5'8 and halfback. And my issue is it's a lot to pay for a reserve. It really is. Um, if you can make it work, I really like the build of, of Cleary, Gun 5.8, and, and Harris Tavita backing up both. I really like that. But I'm finding it hard personally to make that work uh, <laughs> with two gun, two gun fullbacks and a pack full of, you know, Angus Crichtons and stuff. It's not, it's not quite working for me, but I, I like it. And if you can make it work, definitely consider it because the goal kicking will help. He's the sort of player that will find points. And I think what you'll find is you'll get to the end of the year and go, Oh, he made a lot more line breaks this year, but didn't set up many tries. And you might find that if he ends up being good next year, he'll set up a heap of tries and not make any line breaks. Like he's just a guy with a lot of paths to points and it probably won't be one category standing out. It'll just be a couple of things this week, a couple of different things that week. Cause he's creative and a bit flary and he, he tries it on. So with the goal kicking floor and, and a good tackler, I really like the play, um, but I just can't quite make that work. And I don't heaps want to pay that for the third half. I think that, there's probably 
only one halfback anyone wants, and there's probably two five eights people are looking at if you're serious about getting a gun, and you probably either want two out of those three or all three eventually. I don't know that you want another one, you know? Like, I, I don't know that you want a second halfback, and I don't know that you want a second five eight that much, really, yeah, for, for money. For starting-wise, yeah. like, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable... Um, having a backup, just one between the two spots. So, like, I've got mm. three that I would yeah. reasonably comfortably play. I'd, I wouldn't feel as good if I only had two that I was comfortable playing. Um, but, you know, you could have either build, and I think it's okay. For yeah. me personally, I reckon that you probably want three decent ones. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And as I said, I think people should look at him, and I think if you can do it, it's worth looking at. But I guess where I'm getting at, when you say three, I think to the point is, if you say started Walker or... or, or um. Munster and you've started with Cleary. I think with all the cash you've already invested, I guess where I'm getting at is that there are good cheap options that you can pinch in for a week if something happens. Like if you've got Harris Tavita for 420, like you can play Matt Moyland or Tex Hoy for 250 at 5.8. He's back up 5.8. Like Matt Moyland averaged 59, 52, 45 until last year for his career and is going to be starting at 5.8 for the foreseeable future. Tex Hoy's playing fullback and goal kicking. I guess that I feel like if you're just prepared to cross your fingers with Cleary and not back your halfback up with someone that good and hope he, and just trade him if he gets injured, then you can cover 5-8 with a guy who could get you 40 or 50 to 60 any given week with Moylan and, and Hoy or, you know, if Schuster miraculously started. Your backup at 5-8 can be got for over 200 and something K cheaper, and they're guys that could get you 50 if you play them for a week. Because let's face it, if Munster or Walker is out for a month, you're not playing your backup. You're trading them. So it... I guess that's where I fall over is I'm like, I've got the money so that I've got a backup for these two guys. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to swing him anyway because I won't have two jewels. Like I won't have a half five, eight jewel as the other backup. So he can only back up Cleary or the five, eight. And I could probably back five, eight up for 200 K cheaper with a guy that could get me 50. And I don't want to play two halfbacks. That's where I'm falling over on him. But I like the play and I get it. And if you do it, I, you know, then good luck to you because I, I think he probably does do well and he probably is underpriced. It's yep. just a bit expensive for me to back. With you know, I just find it hard to pay four twenty as for Harris Tavita when I could pay two fifty for Moyland or two forty for Hoy. That's all. Yeah, well, I mean, I paid like four fifty, four sixty for um, Moses to play another halfback that's on mm. a good run of games. So I mean. Oh, I want I want that reserve half between the two yep. spots, so that's why I've gone for that build. To finish on Tavita Harris, so oh, to finish on Harris Tavita, <laughs> um, he's he's got a base of only twenty two as well. Now, obviously, you know that's skewed from some of the minutes and stuff that he played, but his base isn't good, so you are going to have some of those lower scores, and that's a downside of him. I wouldn't comfortably be able to play him, and I certainly wouldn't play him in round three and four. So that probably cancels him out. As an option for me, but I think that he could work out. Let's move on to the Manly Seagulls, mate, because they don't okay. have as many options to talk about at all, uh, mainly because Turbo's gone down, uh, and that's really, really hurt them. It's really hurt Supercoach. Uh, their gains haven't been massive. You know, they've got Kieran Foran come in, the jury's out and how he goes, and then they've got a whole heap of guys that may or may not play first grade straight away, like Saab, uh, two from the Roosters, who I quite like. Um, and then Andrew Davey from the Eels, if he's going to start or not. And same with Alawai from the West Tigers. Losses-wise, Fenua Blake was a big loss in the middle, but, you know, Joel Thompson was decent for them, but at the end of his career, Corey Waddell was coming through, but, again, not too bad. I mean, overall, their roster's probably about the same, but without Turbo, you know, I sort of looked at Manly as a side that would push to make the eight again. Um, now I'm sort of looking at them as really struggling, at least until Turbo's back, and then kind of fighting 
to maybe make the eight and see how they go. Oh, they've got too much junk in their team. Um, they've tried to build, uh, a, you know, off the famous, you know, the famous sort of big three model of Melbourne of building value around Kronk, Slater and um, Smith. They've very much tried to build around the Trevojevic's, um and, and, and DCE, but they just haven't done as good a job of it. Um, they're paying Marty good money as well, but they just haven't done as good a job, to be honest with you. You look at the guys they've got around, there's too much junk in the team. They've got the right stars. But there's too many players in there that you would be really not happy if your club signed. If you go through their starting 13, and I said, hey, Mark, they're signed. You know, the Roosters have picked this guy up to start for the 13 next year. There's a lot of them that would upset you. And you, I mean, your team's a top four team. My team's made the eight one time in the last 10 <laughs> years. And I'd be fairly upset if there's there's a good majority of those players that I'd be like, really? Why? Why if we sign that person to start, if we were signing him as a start? that That's my issue. They've got too much junk. They can't afford injuries to Trevojevic and Cherry Evans at all. Um, I think they're going to really struggle. Uh, Des is a long way removed. I rate Des as a coach, but he's a long way removed from having done much, and he's got a bit to prove. You know, he hasn't gone, gone there and shot the lights out. I know they went well the first year, and they put their gloves up without Tommy Turbo, but, you know, the roster's not been built. They're not looking any better year to year. They need to start showing something, and uh, I'm struggling to see it. I'm struggling to see it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at their draw too, it was one of the things that I was a little bit worried about with Manly. Um, so, mm. like, even though I was definitely starting Turbo, um, I made the point of when I was starting him, when I was chatting to people, that they've potentially got three of the first four games against top four teams. You know, Roosters, mm. uh, South, then a good game against the Dragons, and then Penrith. That's about as worse a first month as you can have out of any team as far as the draw goes. I mean, the only thing that would be worse if, if that Dragons game was the Storm and they played the mm-hmm. the whole top four from last year, that would be worse. Um, yeah. they, then goes a bit better. You know, like then they hit the Warriors, the Titans, the Tigers, but then they have to hit Penrith again. So they actually play four out of their first eight games against probably very likely top four teams, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't great. Uh, and then they've got the Warriors, uh, the Broncos, the Eels, the Knights, and they don't play the bye. So not a fantastic draw for Manly. Uh, they probably have about you know half their games are at home. They are a bit better there. But with Turbo out that first month, with Turbo in that first month looked bad anyway. But with him out, it looks even worse. So it's going to be very hard to look at these Manly players for round one. And I'm just going to tell the listeners up front, we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on Manly because their options are a little bit reduced, and they're going to be one of those teams, I think, Luke, who are going to be better purchases during the year than for round mm. one, aside from the cheapies at four. Yeah, I agree. I think that they'll... It, obviously, if there's guys like... If you have subs and those guys are uh, Tupelo or whatever his name is get picked, then, yeah, obviously, you're going to look at them. But with their, their stars, draw's not good. Um, I don't see, like I said to you about before, I, I think we can overstate draws for middling teams. Like, there's no guarantee that they cash in on those weaker games, especially without Trevojevic. With him in there, yeah, you pick him for a weak run because he can hit 200. But without him, there's no guarantee they cash in. They can just have a middling 12-10 grinding win over New Zealand or something, you know? Like, there's no guarantee that you pick up Cherry Evans and he belts 100 against a team like that with, with Turbo missing. Their team's not good enough to necessarily wipe those games. Um, I think they're I think they're in a bit of trouble this year. I really do. Uh, I don't wish them any ill despite being a Knights fan. I've quite liked Cherry Evans and the tur- Turbos and Des, but I, yeah, I, I think 
they're in big trouble. I think Fanua Blake's a pretty big loss. I think there's a lot of junk in that pack already, and they were struggling for numbers there. And I do not think him to Josh Alloway is a good swap. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what Cherry Evans is going to play behind, and I don't know who he's passing it to now that Turbo's out. Yeah, I mean, Cherry Evans is their first big gun to talk about. And he's been really consistent in the last four years. Like, 2017 to 2020, he's gone 62, 62, 62, 64. Mm. I will say that in my early drafts, um, very first drafts, I actually had no Nathan Cleary and I had Daly Cherry Evans in because I thought that he was going to get the goal kicking. Ruben Garrick's going to start because uh, old Jorge is going to be out until you know, mid-April or later. So that means that Ruben Garrick's going to be there and he'll have the goal kicking. So I lost interest immediately. But if Cherry Evans had the goal kicking, I do actually see him as a decent option at 570000 Provided they had a good draw, he was going to be in for me. Then, of course, the draw got released and he was straight out. No goal kicking, no good draw to start with. Have to have him out. But he has been very consistent. And, you know, look, he is one of those guys that you can target during the year. He had a run of three weeks against bad teams uh, Mm. where he hit the Tigers, the Bulldogs, and the Titans. And he went 114, 112, and 86. He will carve bad teams. And that's exactly the type of runs that you're looking for. It's not going to be round one, um, but certainly during the year. I think he's going to be a decent time to maybe look at buying him. It's just unfortunate that he plays Origin, isn't it? Because you kind of like him around that period. Well, that's what I was about to say. When you look at the run, it's New Zealand Broncos para Knights into Origin with the Knights being out. So there was two good games there, but you can't buy him just then. After the first buy, it's Cowboys, Gold Coast, Bulldogs. But one of those is Origin players out and one of them's a backing up game and stuff. So like to me, you can't, there's no prospect to get him. If you don't start him, which you can't, you can't really be looking at him until after State of Origin because you're buying him for a run in the middle of a, a patch that's it's not really on. Now, he finishes the season with the Bulldogs and the Cowboys. Maybe he'd be a great finals pod. That's a really nice little move late. But um, I, he doesn't have the right run for it this year. If he was goal-kicking, I would probably start with him, think about starting with him. But I just got too many concerns about them. I look through their team and I say, if Morgan Harper plays fullback, if I'm the halfback and I'm looking outside me and you go and I'm giving it to Kieran Four, geriatric Kieran Four, and Morgan Harper at fullback and Lachlan Croker at hooker, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. Like he's a great player, but why is he going to do any better than he has other years with that? It's a, it's a real second rate spine without Trevojevic in there. So he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but why is he going to do better than other years in that spine with, with also with Fanua Blake gone? There's just no reason for that to improve. None. Yeah. You, you can't do it um, from round one. And there's yeah. a lot of question marks on how Manly's going to go. And that's going to really affect Daily Cherry Evans as well. Mm. Um, Jake Travojevic, it shouldn't affect too much because he's a fair worker. Uh, mm. And that's really what he's turned into. But he's coming off averaging 66 points. Now, he kind of sneakily did that after he started off the first half of the season not going that well at all. Now, mm. in 2019, he was only 63 points a game. And he managed to add an extra three points to 2020, which I didn't see happening at all. One of the things with that, though, that, you know, like a lot of, some people will say, well, you know, Barnsley, you said last year, he's not he's not going to do any better than he's 63 because he's real middling at the moment. He's 70s away past him. He did add three, you know, 5% of points on what he was doing. But to that, I would say, I think that every second rower was actually up last year. And I think that the new rules made the game a little bit faster. And you'll see that a lot of guys were up. And like, you didn't have as many second rowers sort of averaging 70 plus is what you did last season in the, the couple of years before. So I think everyone was kind of up and there's a lot of guys that are kind of above him still, even averaging 66. The thing that I'll yeah. point out with Turbo, um, 
just real quickly, the thing I'll point out with Gerbo is he had 56 base, which is okay, and he's always going to have that. But the first two rounds of last year, he played the Storm and the Roosters. Okay, the Storm, he scored 61, and the Roosters, he scored 52. The Canberra Raiders came in pretty early, too, in round six. He threw up a 56. And certainly that first six weeks, you know, he was more like a 58 average than what he was his 66 average. And against the good teams, it's kind of what he was doing. You look at the other um, games against these sort of sides, Melbourne, 50 points that he scored later in the season when they played them again. They managed to not play the Roosters and the Raiders again. Um, against the Panthers, he actually carved them up because he scored a try. But otherwise, um, he is just the sort of guy with that draw to give you 50s and points that in the second row forward position, I just don't think that you can pay to be getting from him at his price point, priced on 66. It's just a huge investment when there's so many good options there. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't be buying him. He, he's he's playing 80 minutes every week. There's no room for growth there. Uh, his scores have dropped as that Des Hasler came in and they went from 73, 71 to 63 and 66. Ball was in play over 5% more last year, and his rate of increase is about that. So he's increased with the amount of time the ball was in play because he was tackling people more. There was more, you know, balls in play more, he made more tackles. Um, for him, no, no, no. Look, look. I mean, again, it's not going to wreck your season. If you pick him, fine. But what what I personally would be doing is I, if I get into that 550 to 600 price range, um, some other options there are Murray, Fafita, whatever, I'm looking for who could average 70. Now, I want them to certainly not do worse than 65. Like that's, oh, yeah, it didn't really pay off, but it hasn't hurt me and I can just play him every week and that's fine. But I'm buying them because I want the guy who's going to jump to 70 and I'm taking punts on who that'll be with the safe floor of that they won't do worse than 60s. I can't see any reason why he will do any better. It won't kill your season, but take the punt. Like Cameron Murray will average that, and if things go right with his minutes and time, he might average 70. You know, for feeder, if he shows that, he'll average 60 out of his form's great. He'll, he'll bump up. Look for the guy in there that you think can make that jump, like make that Madison jump he made last year or the Crichton sort of jump. Like look for that guy who, or the Tohu last year. Look for the guy who's got the floor and can go bang and be better, and that's not him. Yeah, year. and you want some upside too. Like I want a yep. guy that I can have the 100-point scores out of. And like someone like Madison, um, Crichton, even Tom Malolo in reduced minutes really, like those mm-hmm. guys can pump out three out of four games scoring a try or getting assists. And you mm. have those huge games because they've got the base as well. With Gerbo, you know, he scored two tries last year with three line breaks. That's basically what he is. You're not going to get much better than that. And that's going to give you a couple of 90-point games, which would be nice. But he's not going to have any huge ones. And he's not going to have enough of those bigger ones. He also, in 20 games, only had his seven offloads. And in 20 games, had eight tackle breaks. Like, he's not even getting half a tackle break a game. And... He's not even getting half an offload a game. You know, he's hardly ever doing it, and that's him. And I don't see that changing. So I want upside if I'm paying for that as well. Um, and you know, he also plays it. State of Origin. That's the third thing I, I probably missed before is that if you were like, if you were just a really safe sort of dude, and you're like, you know what? He's going to average 65. I can plug that in and I won't get screwed. I'm going to pick a guy and he's not going to... Like, say you pick David Fafita and he doesn't do anything for four weeks and averages 40, because that could happen. I'm going to pick him, but it could happen. Like, he's that sort of player. Well, Travojevic won't. You're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to get 55, between 55 and 70 every week, and I'm happy with that. There would be a better argument for that. It's not how I play, but there would be a better argument for that if he didn't play State of Origin. You're going to get a guy that you're going to get to the middle of the season, and he's going to be missing for some games and might get managed when he does play in between them. So, you you know, like, to me, that's not – if you're going to pick a meat of potatoes, plonk him in and get it done, pick a guy who's not going to make the rep teams. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I'm not on um, Jerbo, and I think there's a lot of good options in second row forward that are either much cheaper or or a little bit more, but way, way better. Um, as mm. far as the last gun for Manly to chat about, Marty Tapao, he comes in on his worst season that he's had uh, for a long time at Manly, 60 points a game, just fell into gun status. The years before, 61, 65, and 65. It's the lowest minutes that he's played, and that's a big standout. You know, from 2017 to 2019, he basically averaged 51 minutes. And in 2020, he went down to 45 minutes a game. And that six minutes for him is huge. He did end up having the best PPM that he's had. But in saying that, the minutes were the big thing. Now, I guess, Luke, he is one of those guys in that Fenua Blake type of price point at 530000 that you could say, well, he might be a front row forward option. Uh, he is the sort of guy that does have the offload in him. I think that that went down a little bit. He, his offloads were just under two a game last year, which was still good. Um, his tackle breaks were just over two a game last year, which was decent. But you can see a bit of growth there. He actually only had the one line break last year and the two tries. So that's a little bit low for him. So you can actually say that he's got a bit of base attack and clutch attack upside a little bit maybe. But the big thing for me, and I guess the question for you, their middle is going to be a bit weaker. You know, they've got guys like um, a Fenua Blake gone, and they're going to be leaning on some unproven guys. And even just with, you know, a leader like uh, Trevojevic out at the fullback spot, you know, they're going to be leaning on these veteran guys. And like you said, they're, they're big money for you guys that they have need to play. I can't see 45 minutes from to power again. Um, I think that he has to hit 50. And if he does, you know, you could argue, look, he's going to go from 60 to 65, and he's going to have maybe some extra attack upside as well, uh, although their draw's a little bit harder. He can still generally offload and tackle break pretty well. So I do see some interest in him. Um, he probably doesn't have a huge amount of upside, though, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I love him as a player. I've always wished he would, they would, the Knights would sign him. I freaking love him. He's just mad, and he's good, and he offloads. <laughs> really good to watch. Um he, I would say that if you're worried about his age, don't be. His PPM last year was the best he's had in the, since 20, like 2017, 1.25, then 1.27, 1.24, up to 1.33. So he's not blowing out. And he, he didn't play a lot of footy at the start of his career. Like he was in reserve grade a bit and on the bench for clubs and he shunted around from the Bulldogs to the Tigers. So I reckon his legs are okay. Um, the only thing I would say is you say you can't see him playing 45 minutes. I agree. It's dumb that he would play 45 minutes. But what I will just say is that Des Hasler is their coach. Um, <laughs> it made no sense for him to play 45 minutes last year. I've just ran you through what problems they had with Fanua Blake. Like he missed games injured. He had decreased minutes for knee problems. He was in and out of the team and they still dropped Marty's minutes. Um, they dropped his minutes. He scores. He did 65, 65 averages till Des got there. It went to 61 and 60. I don't get what Des is going for, and I don't understand why you would decrease his minutes, but I, Fanua Blake wasn't offering the middle last year. Fanua Blake's minutes dropped as well. So last year, he has played, like, Fanua Blake played less minutes by five due to various factors, and that has not led to Marty's minutes going up. They've gone down by five as well. So I guess the concern is if they go up five back to 50 and his PPM goes to what it was two years ago, that's still a 60 average. There's no guarantee the minutes come back because Des just hasn't done that when he should have. He should have played more minutes last year. He's got it in him. He's fit and strong. And I don't get it. Like last year, I would watch them and t- for 20 minutes, they would match every team in the competition. Then they would have to take Fanua Blake or Marty off in that 30-minute mark. 
they would look terrible. They would bring them back. They would look good again. And it was like watching two different teams play. And they didn't leave them on. So I just I wouldn't risk it, but it's a watch. If he comes out and starts playing over 50 minutes and offloading the ball around, you know, it might be worth a look. If he ends up getting 55 minutes, which is what they should play him, he should be a 55 mm. to 60 minute player. 100%. And you, and you see that the first two rounds, mm. straight on him. Like, I don't yep. care who your, your second forward is, the front row forward or your sec, or one of your bench, you know, second row forwards. Or, just get him in because it's mm-hmm. going to be a fantastic purchase. And I think that's when I'm going to be looking at him uh, before those price increases happen and getting at least two games idea of, of what that new manly pack rotation is going to look like. There's a guy that I'm just going to mention because I've had a love affair of him since he came through as a junior at the Tigers. Uh, and that is Curtis Sirinan, just as a, <laughs> as a big balls pod that I can't do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I've got to just mention it because, you know, if they had a good draw and Turbo was there, I'd be getting him. Um, but, you know, he's averaged 61 last year, so he's a genuine gun as far as the criteria goes. He had three games where he was uh, affected by uh, minutes, where he played less than his 80 minutes, um, basically about 60 minutes average across those three games. And also, I think he had a sin bin in there as well. So he could have actually averaged a bit more. When you look at his numbers, I'm just going to say it. He he was second in the team in offloads, only behind Marty Tapao, getting about two or almost two a game. Uh, he's getting two tackle breaks a game as well. So his base attack was great. Um, his base went up a little bit to 44, which isn't bad for an edge back rower. Um, all of a sudden, he's looking at sort of a, a 55 type of floor. And he scored the three line breaks, two try assists and, and three tries last year, which he could build on if they had their full team. He deserves a shout-out because, again, good draw. I would have gotten him in if they had their full side because I think that he, he really came of age last year and had some really good touches and some good runs. Obviously can't do it. Luke, I want us to just talk about the guys that are in the mid to cheapy range that we can get in. Now, mm. obviously, I think this is where, from round one, they're going to show some value. Now, we've got guys like like Saab, who I think that if Saab's name are on a wing, you just, you just get him in. He's that cheap mm-hmm. at 220K that you just do it. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you probably have to. I haven't liked what I've seen from him from a work rate perspective, but they've got Cherry Evans. He'll put him over for a couple at one point. Uh, yeah, you got to pay him at that price unless there's four cheaper guys, which there won't be. Now, I'm interested where you see Josh Schuster because he's only 200000 Now, if he's starting at either six or maybe even nine, uh, I think that he's going to be pretty hard to leave out. But I guess, you know, if you're comparing him to, say, like a Moylan for 50 grand more, you know, do you save the 50 grand and go to a Schuster who only played the one game last year, so you, you can't really judge anything off his career because it's only the one game. You know, someone like him could be a popular target for the 5-8 spot. Yeah, if he plays, you've got to pick him. He's a real talented player. He's got all the skills that work for super coach. If he starts at 5'8", you have to pick him. He, I don't believe you'll start a hooker. If he's on the bench, I would pass him. I think Moylan, all the noise is that Moylan's training the house down. Um, so I think if, you, if, if you've got a guy <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. But I mean, Matt Moylan, I've been critical of him as everyone, but the bottom line is that he is too good of a footballer for that average. Um, and he's going to play there for eight weeks. He'll set up some tries. If, if Schuster's on the bench or pinch hitting at hooker, Moyland or Tex Hoy. Tex Hoy is goal-kicking and playing fullback. He'll get four or five games in there, and he'll score all right. Um, Moyland is a guy who is he's played for Australia not that, that many years ago, and it, I would be taking them over a bench player any day. If Schuster starts at 40, 50K cheaper, then you have to back the young talent there and back that he'll get some scores. And I know their draw is hard, but it's 
you know, it'll happen. It doesn't matter at that price. You're not going to pay him. Just wait and wait for the big score. That That's the way I see that. I think he's got enough wraps and enough ability. You're back at if he's starting. But I, Des isn't that sort of coach. I think you'll see Foran starting. I think you'll see Schuster on the bench. And I no way would I be picking him on the bench when you could pick up Moylan or Hoy. Yep, definitely. Mm. Paseca's an interesting one as well. He's sort of a high mid-range guy at 420,000, which is really unfortunate because he had a good year where he averaged 48 points a game and he did it in only 36 minutes ago. So huge PPM, young guy that's got a lot of potential. He could be starting. And look, frankly, I don't know why they would start Alawai. Um, I think Paseca's a better player and I really quite like Paseca. But the thing with me, with him, is he only played 36 minutes. Now, on mm. the basis of that, Luke, I kind of look at him and go, surely he's going to get 50 like, at a minimum, he's got 14 extra minutes, and that's, like, 17 extra points. Um, maybe his PPM drops, and, you know, it's 14 points for his extra 14 minutes or something like that. And that's that should be the floor, right, 50 minutes. The trouble is that you look at Tapao and go, shit, <laughs> the best... Actually, the best forwards only played 45 minutes, so yeah. this guy could start and still only get his 36 minutes somehow, you know. I guess it's a Des factor in there, but he projects really well if he's a starter and it's another coach. I guess we just don't know. Yeah, I just can't look at that much money. That's the problem. Um, yeah, 280 maybe. But at, at that price, the, the thing for me is I don't love Alloway either, but they induced him to basically break his contract or get out of his deal to go there. They did it. Um, when looking to replace Fanua Blake. So let's just look at last year and say the minutes replicate. And let's say Fanua Blake played 50. So let's say they give Alawai 45 and add five to Marty. That's the minutes taken. And he's still at 36. And to me, Dez has never been good for forwards and super coach. He's always shared it around too much. He's ne- you've never really had, you know, if you look at those bulldog sides, uh, he had Glenn Stewart at one point, but he was a creative player. If you look at the middle forwards at his bulldogs teams and going back, like he shares the load around too much. And I think that Alawai will eat enough up out of um, Fanua Blake's minutes that if Marty then takes a couple, I just don't see enough for Paseca. I, I, yeah, I, I, not at that price. It's, no, that's just a dumb punt at the price. I love him. I'm really fond of giant guys <laughs> that come on and do stuff. So like, it's that's why it's a neutral fan watching. I love guys like him, and you know, but I, I don't think you can have a proper look at that price point. Like, yeah, Welsh isn't that far off that price point. You're 100 k's away. Like 420, you're 100 k away from getting Fanoa Blake or Marty. Like, you just need to find that in your team somewhere. Like, it's you know that that to me you can't really look at that. Yeah, and there's the guys yeah. like Leader at 350 and stuff, or Lodge, even if he starts at 300, you know, you're, you're better off just doing oh, that yeah. and saving the money. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. To finish off on, I'm just going to mention a couple of guys. Like, Andrew Davey came across, and he's projected to start by, you know, a few places, but from Wacko's Whispers, it sounds like the great Jack Kozowski is going to end up starting on an edge because Des has to have the gauze in his side. I think we both fell into a trap of owning him a couple of years ago. So... <laughs> trap. I, I, don't, I regret nothing. The gauze forever. <laughs> gauze for life. Um, but if Andrew Davey or somebody else does get that edge role, um, that guy's going to become interesting. But we're going to have to wait for TLT for that. Um, so certainly, I guess Andrew Davey kind of falls into the sub boat where if he's starting, then at his price point, you know, 336k, it's going to be an easy option to consider. He's only priced on basically half a game, and you'd expect him to get 80 minutes. But do you think if Goz is on the bench, which he's going to be, that you know someone like Davey maybe becomes a bit trappish, maybe he only gets 50 minutes a game, and then you know, you're know yeah. stuck with him? Um, 
I think Manly are an easy team in that way. They've got a lot of watchers, and then they've got a few cheapies that you'd obviously take if they get in. Um, he, no, I, I think if the Goz is on the bench, I'd, I'd just do a wait and see. They do tend to like to play their edges for big minutes, so it might be okay. Um, but I, if he's the only edge back rower that's underpriced that gets a starting gig, maybe, but you're probably going to have Jordan Ricky and, uh, we might have Josh Curran at the Warriors started in one of the trials. That might be one we missed that might come through. Um, if there's other players that get in, yeah, I would then wait on him at 360 if, if the Goss is on the bench. And I think he will be. I, I just, it's a lot. I just wait and see on it. That's all. Yeah, well, that probably finishes up Manly, mate, and also the podcast. I'm going to apologise outright for Manly fans that we didn't spend much time on it, but the team is very much, uh, I think, uh, during the season, buys rather than round one. Um, and Luke, thanks for jumping on again. Bit short notice for you, but we managed to pump out a really good podcast to finish off the team previews. And uh, I'm keen on chatting you during the season with the Knights. Yeah, been a pleasure, mate. We'll wait till uh, Fanua Blake gets his first ton, and I'll be putting my hand up all week to get myself back on. <laughs> you just wait until Junior Paulo throws out 300 <laughs> points in the first three weeks, mate. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks for listening again to the final of the team previews. We'll be back on Tuesday night. We'll be recording a TLT podcast released on Wednesday as well, uh, which will be a big one, and Billy will be on for that one, and we'll be revealing teams as well, which will be interesting too. Obviously, follow us on Twitter, like we always say, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And if you are going to have a punt, do it responsibly, but do do it with Top Sport and put in the promo code SC All Stars, and they'll take care of you as one of our listeners. Good luck with everything else. You make sure that you download and subscribe on either iTunes, SoundCloud, and also Spotify. We'll chat to you again on Tuesday evening about the first TLT of the season. Very exciting.